It is great to finally be back on our live stream. We haven't done a live stream in a long time, and I can't imagine a, a better person to have than my good old friend, Russell Arbin Fox from Friends University in Wichita and from Wichita uh, DSA, Wichita Democratic Socialists of America. Hi, Russell. Pleasure to be here, Matt. It's really great to see you again. It's, it is great to see you. And as I said, that beard just slays. Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, truly amazing um, to see uh, that one of us has, has aged well. Um, so we want to talk a little bit about religious socialism. There's a big conference coming up. But right. before we talk about that, we often assume or, you know, kind of orient towards socialism as a secular philosophy. Right. Uh, it's obviously in its in some of its biggest iterations, it has been a militantly secular philosophy, although I think that that's been a complicated question too. how actually sure. existing socialism has related to religion. It's not it's not a straight line. But why don't you talk a little bit about how nothing could be further from the truth. And for many, for a long time, it was natural to associate social uh, socialism with radical radicalized religion. Absolutely. So thank you, Matt. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this and I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it you know, relatively succinct because you and I both know this is the sort of thing that we could run on and on and on and on and on about. So if you approach socialism in terms of a specific set of political parties, a specific set of political movements with a revolutionary history, then it might admittedly, especially if you're you know, living in the United States of America or Western Europe, uh, you know, might be a little bit difficult to connect it with the religious sensibility. If, however, you approach socialism as a philosophy of the social ownership of, of goods, the social distribution and sharing of the wealth of society, the social empowerment of all people equally, well, then what you're looking at is a set of ideas that have had a strong religious grounding for millennia. Um, it is very, very easy to go back in the history of uh, Christianity, certainly because that's the tradition I know best, but also uh, through the tradition of Judaism, through the history of Hinduism, through the history of all of the major religions, and find instantiations of an egalitarian ideal, uh, the vision of building a better community, a community of equals, a community of sharing, a community of of empowerment and fairness and um, the opposite of, of the individual scramble to survive. Uh, you can find this in the ancient world in so many different versions uh, throughout the history of different religious movements as they have become embedded in societies. You can find it arising all around the world. Again, my tradition is a Christian one, so I can point to you know, all sorts of experiments with what we would call uh, Christian socialism or Christian communism or just some form of collective life, of shared life, you know, going all the way back to the medieval period or even before that, 
And certainly once industrialism arrives in the 18th century, you find lots of different religious believers insisting that this kind of atomization, this kind of individual competition is not what the religious life is for. And so they look to build alternatives. Now, obviously, if your you know, grounding in socialism is primarily Marxist, then you have to deal with the fact that you know, Karl Marx looked upon different forms of Christian socialism as merely utopian movements that are going to suck away uh, the revolutionary energy from the working class. Oh, but did he? But we can talk about that Fair another enough. time. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I'm, this is a, a very potted description. Sure, exactly. And and I am uh, and and far be it from me to exacerbate uh, the length of this overview. Fair enough. But in any case, there is the tendency to believe that socialism has to achieve has to be achieved uh, through. Uh, revolutionary means. It has to be achieved on the basis of uh, a materialist concept of society. It can't be an ideal. Okay, so uh, Rosa Luxemburg had this, you know, uh, long argument with Edward Bernstein, uh, who's usually seen as the founder of democratic socialism. And her basic argument is that, um, and I think I actually have a quote of this, I might show it later on, uh, where he, she basically said, look, if, if socialism does not stay scientific, if socialism does not stay programmatic, uh, then it becomes just an ideal. And if it's an ideal, then, you know, why would we have any confidence that it would ever have actually happen? It will just be a romantic thing like any other ideal. And I think that that is a burden that religious socialists have to deal with. Uh, religious socialists can try to find some way to address that problem. Or, and this is the case with many, many religious socialists, they honestly believe, well, maybe we don't have an answer to that problem, but we are committed to the idea of building socialism amongst the believers, amongst our communities, in our communes, in other words. And uh, that's kind of where I come at it mostly. What do you think of the fact that um, in terms of praxis now, uh, you have uh, Democratic Socialists of America, nearly 100,000 members nationwide, and all these different caucuses and all these different groups. It's a big tent, big right. tent socialism, uh, and that includes religious socialism. And so now this becomes a way for uh, the people who make that kind of commitment, not just to make it in their own, uh, to live it in their own body, in their own collectives, but also to be part of this tent so that as a religious socialist, you will go to a meeting and there'll be some anarchists there. There'll be some Marxist Leninists there. There'll be some social Democrats there. You're all in the same room working for socialism. How does that take? Is that, you'd call that sort of almost a uniquely American uh, kind of iteration of religious yeah, I, socialism? I, I think it is. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, American style pluralism, which was always more of an ideal than something that has been, you know, realized in practice. But that that ideal has has definitely shaped the way the DSA has evolved. Um, I would like to believe that religious socialists can learn from those who are approaching socialism from a, a variety of different perspectives, and I hope that we 
can contribute in our own way to that learning process that others are always going through. Uh, I, I mentioned when we were talking before the uh, broadcast began that I've, I've uh, really been enamored by the work of Murray Bookchin. Uh, I've been aware of him for a long time, but lately my research has kind of taken me in the direction of some of his ideas. And he just strongly believed that the route to socialism was through some kind of communalism, through some kind of confederation of socialist communities, all of which are going to be articulating socialism in somewhat different ways. Now, if we also believe that certain socialist principles have to be enjoyed universally, I mean, you know, we're talking about the, the basic equal respect to all persons, you know, whatever their race, whatever their physical condition, whatever their sexual orientation, then that can run straight right in to the way some of these communities articulate. Sure, sure. And that's a problem. And again, you could say, all right, we have to fix this problem. Or you could say, I don't know how to fix this problem, but I know that this is a vision that is actually motivating some religious believers to act in socialist ways. And we're going to want to cultivate that, even if we don't know what the end game is for when all those communities come together. So tell us about this big conference uh, coming up. Or, uh, and, and I've noticed a, an increase in activity uh, in um, speakers and events around religious socialism sponsored by DSA over the last several months. Tell, tell us a little bit about this event. So uh, religious socialism as a branch of the DSA, not just as a concept, but as like a, you know, a, a formal organized body within which there are lots of other bodies. Um, you know, they've always had a presence on the web. They've always had a presence at conferences. Uh, they are putting together a conference. I'm going to uh, share really quickly here an image. Um, or let's see, I forgot to hit share screen. Let me do that. Uh, this is just one of the advertisements that are being put together for this conference. It's entirely online. Obviously, it's come together really quickly. I mean, it's going to take place in only 10 days. Um, it's called Building the Religious Left. It's going to have uh, participation from lots of different organizations, Christian organizations, of course, uh, Jewish organizations, Muslim organizations. Uh, we're getting input from a variety of different individuals who are going to be putting together panels. Some of these panels are going to be pre-recorded. Some of them are going to be live streamed. Um, you can find at www.religioussocialism.org a link to the conference so that you can register for it, so that you can uh, listen in on and uh, submit questions to some of these different panels, or at least have access to a lot of the recorded material. Uh, Cornell West is providing uh, a speech as part of this conference. Uh, some of the people involved at the Institute of Christian Socialism and at the magazine Commonweal are also providing stuff. I, I think it's going to be a, a nice resource for people that are curious about this aspect of uh, uh, democratic socialism, as well as you know, uh, for people going forward who might want to you know understand better what's going on at this moment in 2021 and what might come of it. Uh, 
Cornell West was on a panel that I did see several weeks ago. And so I wonder if he was honing uh, what may be his remarks for for this uh, for this event. Could be. I, I have not seen his recorded uh, presentation yet, uh, but I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and there's still other people that are kind of joining in on this. Like I said, it came together at the last minute. Uh, Representative Alexandria Osasio-Cortez was invited and uh, said that she was interested. I don't know if her time's going to allow her to uh, prepare a presentation. Uh, there's a couple of other big names uh, as well. Plus a lot of people just, you know, kind of in the field uh, who are going to share their thoughts and their perspectives. Great. So what, uh, so what is, what are your thoughts and perspectives? Why don't we take a few minutes to uh, discern what those are? Okay. So uh, I'm going to do the share screen thing again. Um, Let's do this. Okay, so I've written a few things for uh, the Religious Socialism blog, and I've been involved in a few different organizations that uh, you know have a kind of a religious orientation, uh, a cultural orientation, and you know I've stood up as kind of the representative of the left, the representative of democratic socialism, saying. Okay, now a lot of you here probably don't agree with this, but here are the parallels I'm seeing. Here are the things that you need to be open to. And we're looking right now um, at this, uh, uh, this I guess, the cover of, your, of the presentation, right. uh, or the, the, uh, the cover page, if you will, of the presentation. And it is, uh, what is I'm, I'm not sure what the, well, the, the tradition of art is, but that's the United Order. Um, you've got Joseph Smith on the left and Brigham Young on the right of the bottom. And then you've got some people that look um, somewhat, but not quite, not quite entirely unlike socialist realism. Right. There's, there's an element to that. Um, so, uh, you know, like I said, uh, my, my tradition is a Christian one. My specific denomination is, is Mormon, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I've been a member all my life. Um, and yeah, the, the Mormons have like zero reputation uh, when it comes to left causes in the United States today. But that was not always the case. A uh, hundred years ago, or more like about 130 years ago, uh, you know, the, the Mormon church, as it uh, was kicked out of the United States and as it settled in Mexican territory, which later became Utah, uh, they practiced uh, a form of religious communalism, which I would argue has important parallels to democratic socialism. And this is an argument that I have brought up in a lot of other religious groups, a lot of other cultural groups over the years. So DSA asked me to prepare a presentation on religious communalism and democratic socialism. So that's kind of the first page that I'm showing right here. The image that you have there is an image that was prepared by an individual whose name has been lost in the midst of time. Uh, the image alone has been preserved. Uh, I mean, this artwork is obviously... Uh, it, it, it came out of the Utah period of the church. It came out in, sometime in the 1890s. Uh, it, uh, it obviously thus predates what most of us think of as socialist realism in art. But then again, if you're talking about ordinary people doing ordinary work 
And yet you are seeing that ordinary work as part of kind of a, a, a higher goal, a goal that to these faithful Mormons was all about building uh, Zion on earth, building a united community that would enjoy God's blessings. If you're going to try to convey something like that in art, you kind of can't avoid elements of social realism because you're going to depict ordinary people doing ordinary work and show them as part of something higher. Um, so I, I put that in there because, again, that's my own tradition, and it's something that I've written about and studied about and argued about a lot. But religious communalism obviously is a, a very, very broad thing. So let me go on to the next slide here. Um, there's a lot of different ways to talk about religious communalism. And if you get into an argument with people who uh, are from contemporary India or who are schooled in the news of contemporary India, communalism, the English word, is going to have a really, really bad uh, taste to it because that's going to communicate religious and ethnic conflict. Um, but communalism as a term shouldn't be uh, you know, connected too firmly to that particular ugly usage. I mean, basically what we're talking about here are religious believers who feel like in order to build a society of holiness, to build a society where they are close to their God, they're gonna have to separate themselves to a certain degree and it's not just a physical separation, it's an economic separation. There's probably gonna to have to be a degree of autarky involved. Uh, but the thing that will destroy this autarky is if everybody is allowed to compete for their own wealth. And so you've gotta have communal ownership. This is something that has to be built voluntarily, uh, usually though not always democratically. Uh, throughout the history of religious communes, there's been a lot of lifestyle experimentation. It's easy to find, you know, some outrageous examples of that, of, of you know, like the Oneida community in uh, 19th century America, where sexual congress was a way to experience the divine. And so you had all sorts of, of uh, interesting uh, sexual unions emerging. But the fact of the matter is, is that you will find lifestyle experimentation even in very traditional and conservative groups, because you're going to have women who are going to step up and take leadership roles. Uh, you're going to have uh, people who uh, are going to take on responsibilities and occupations that formerly might be coded away from them. So uh, that lifestyle experimentation covers a lot of things. Obviously, there's an intentional focus. They're come together because they want to achieve something. Are they necessarily utopian? Well, this kind of connects to some of the ideas that we were talking about before. Do they see this little commune? Do they see this separate, devout community as an example to the rest of the world? Is it going to transform the rest of the world? Or is it simply going to provide a source of, 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 of holiness and a source of decency for the people who live there. Some are on one side of that divide, some are on others. Um, there's a lot of examples of this. Uh, I list a bunch here. Uh, some of them you all have probably heard of. You know, the Catholic worker movement is really important uh, in the history of socialist movements in the United States. 
Uh, so for the kibbutzim in Israel, uh, others probably maybe not so much familiarity, but all of them are examples of religious communalism. So let me head through uh, what I've got now. This is not complete. This is not the thing that is going to be part of my recorded presentation, but uh, it most of this will be in here. So uh, again, you know, I'm, I'm speaking of this from the tradition that I know best, and probably even if you're not a believing Christian, uh, if you are in any way associated with socialism, you're probably aware of the fact that you have these elements of the early Christian tradition. You have uh, the elements of, of what wasn't even really a church. It was what we might call the Jesus movement of the time. And what did they do? Well, they all lived together and they all held things in common. Uh, they ate together. Uh, when someone had resources, they would sell those resources and bring the money to the community or else they would actually uh, uh, give their resources to the community so that it could be shared equally. The whole idea was no private ownership and that everyone would be united together as one heart and one soul. Okay, so that line, one heart and one soul, that got picked up by uh, the founder of, of my specific uh, church tradition, Mormonism, uh, by Joseph Smith. And he talked about Zion, which is a term that you find in the Old Testament to describe, uh, you know, the temple and a place of holiness. Uh, he described Zion as a place where there were no poor and all people were of one heart and one mind. They shared everything equally. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the Mormon tradition had for a period of time, a period of about 30 years or so, uh, in the late 19th century, going into the early 20th century, a determination to build Zion. And what that basically meant was throughout Utah, as well as in some parts of Arizona and Idaho, plus a few colonies of Mormons that uh, traveled to Mexico and to Canada, they attempted to build what they called United Orders. And so, right here we have a slide and a picture of Lorenzo Snow, um, who does have a beard that's longer than yours. Yes, um, yes, I'm not and, up to his level. Uh, uh, he's the fifth president of the of the Mormon Church, and uh, and this was and it was during his presidency that this was part of this 30 year period. Yes, uh, it really. So Joseph Smith introduced it in Ohio. Uh, then Joseph Smith was uh, murdered in Illinois. Um, and then the church brought it back in Utah, and it uh, existed through the presidencies of Brigham Young uh, and the people that immediately followed him. So John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff, Lorenzo Snow. By the time you get to the sixth president and you're into the 20th century, uh, there is strong pressure for the church to Americanize. They uh, decide that they want to shoot for state hood in the United States, which means that they had to break up, uh, or they at least they felt it necessary to break up Mormon political parties and adopt Republican and Democratic parties. Uh, it was necessary for them to abandon a lot of the church institutions that kind of govern these communities. Uh, and there were a lot of people in Utah that wanted to see these things broken up. Uh, the railroad had come to Utah. You had non-Mormons living there. 
Obviously, you also had the native inhabitants that, frankly, the Mormons were not any better to than any of the other mm -hmm. uh, Europeans that had moved west. And, uh, you know, they had their own agenda and they didn't like being excluded from these communities either. So, I mean, it was a mixed bag, the end of the United Orders. But for a time, this was an ideal that was very, very strong amongst uh, the Mormon people. I have a long quote here. I won't read all of it, but uh, basically... Lorenzo Snow here is quoted as saying that uh, if we go about things the way the rest of America does, we're going to have classes established here. We're going to have rich and poor established here. And the Lord doesn't want that. The Lord wants equality. The Lord wants all of us to be the same in spiritual things as well as in temporal things. Now, some of these communities really went, uh, you know, all the way in the communalist direction. Uh, right. People lived together, they ate together, they farmed together. Uh, others uh, were a lot more relaxed. They would establish what were called bishop storehouses where food and other resources would be saved. And those storehouses would be open to any member of the community that needed them. So kind of an early welfare system. Uh, so there was a wide variety of levels of coordination, but the goal was the same. Now this goal has motivated as I mentioned before, dozens, hundreds of different groups in the United States, in Europe, all around the world. So uh, one such group is the Bruderhof. The Bruderhof have their roots in uh, early 20th century England. Um, you could call them fundamentalist Christians, but uh, it's, it's hard to really fit them into the current American definition of fundamentalism. What they are are people who took the Bible really seriously, took the book of Acts really seriously, and said, well, we need to start living in accordance with this. And they started to gather in farms across England. And gradually, as uh, English society developed, uh, it was harder and harder for them to find agrarian spaces for all of their members. And so you had quite a few that relocated to uh, parts of South America, like Paraguay and Uruguay. You had others that relocated to the United States and Canada. Um, there's a, a, a wonderful series of videos that are available uh, online from the Bruderhof community, where they talk about themselves and, you know, are we socialists? What kind of socialists are we? What are we really trying to achieve? Um, and one of them quotes uh, the English writer, William Morris, who some of you will you know, recognize from his associations with the Labour Party and uh, other early socialist movements in England. And uh, he said, look, what are we trying to do here? William Morris put it well. We're trying to create a society in which there would be neither rich nor poor, neither master nor master's man, neither idle nor overworked, neither brain sick brain workers or heart sick hand workers. In a word, we're all, in a word, in which all men will be living equally of condition and would manage all their affairs unwastefully and with the full consciousness that harm to one would mean harm to all. The Bruderhof do this by uh, working together in collective enterprises. All of the profit that is earned from those enterprises is held centrally and distributed to everyone. Uh, living arrangements involve people coming together, kind of like Solidarity House and uh, you know, making things work amongst the different talents that they have. So one last thing that I want to say, mm -hmm. and uh, 
Uh, I'll just kind of leave it at this because this isn't fully developed. Uh, I mentioned before, you know, the argument about utopianism. Are, are you just trying to build something for your believers, your fellow believers, or are you trying to model something that can be spread around the world? So there's an old argument amongst some people who study socialism. And uh, this, again, goes back to uh, the early uh, um, uh, 1800s in uh, Great Britain, in England, uh, the, you know, the beginnings of the Labor Party and, uh, and other labor and socialist movements. Uh, Robert Owen was uh, an influential leader in some of these movements. And he took what I guess you could call the utopian strategy. Uh, he uh, basically believed that the goal was to build a commune, to build uh, you know, a community that practiced the socialist ideal. Then others would see it and they would build similar communities on their own, you know, in their own time, in their own way. Then you've got the vertical strategy, the political strategy. Uh, and this is what you might consider to be a, kind of a more traditionalist uh, Edward Bernstein democratic socialist strategy, which is that you're not attempting to build socialism in, in its entirety. You're trying to bring socialist ideas into the political realm and you're trying to you know, impose them vertically. You're trying to you know, uh, bring them into the larger society, whether that be a nation state or whether that be the whole world, a, a little bit at a time. You're going to build a welfare policy. You're going to build public education. You're going to move towards socialism a little bit at a time overall, as opposed to moving to socialism entirely within a small utopian scale. Now, on this slide, on the left side of the slide, you've got a painting of Robert Owen uh, to represent this uh, horizontal strategy of uh, building up the community as a as a kind of beacon, as a kind of of uh, representative example of the of the the complete radicalization of material relations in the commune. And then on the right, you've got a photo, a very old photo of Sidney and Beatrice Webb. Uh, the founders of the Fabian Society, right? And that's the more reformist or um, parliamentarian or incremental approach that you're talking about. Uh, so the, the language horizontal and vertical is one that some scholars use, but the language that you use, it works just as well. And I really like the beacon element. That's, that's a nice way to think about it. So here's the last thing. While neither of these necessarily have anything to do with religious socialism, though often, you know, both of them may, uh, you see horizontal approaches or you see the beacon approach, uh, you know, present all around. These are my friends. Those are my friends from L.A. Public Bank that you've got there. There you as go. A, as an example of horizontal through building banks in, in, in neighborhoods. This is what you do. You're going to create the whole of a socialist relationship and you're going to do it one place at a time, one community at a time, one commune, as it were, at a time. And then uh, you've got uh, Representative Osasio-Cortez, you've got Bernie Sanders, you've got the whole idea of something that we're going to call democratic socialism, which is really just, you know, different efforts to make things more egalitarian, make things more sustainable, make things more democratic and fair. And we're going to see how well we can introduce those on the political level, on the vertical level. And so, you know, I've got, as you were saying, 
uh, a picture of some friends of yours. I was actually trying to find a picture of some of the folks at Solidarity House to use in this. But you'll have to send me some. We're very evasive about, we, we're not, we don't consider ourselves photogenic. Uh, okay. We often are masking up and not just because of COVID. It's, you don't want to look at each other. Well, okay, I can understand that. So I've got a picture of the folks in LA and I've got a picture of Ocasio-Cortez uh, talking about the Green New Deal. Um, you know, as I said, at this point, we're just talking about religious communalism and what it can teach us as socialists more broadly. But the religious socialist element in a literal sense certainly has not dropped out because as you said, uh, you've seen in a lot of different organizations, the movement of socialist thinkers and socialist activists trying to transform their communities from within. And of course, you know, on the level of somebody like uh, Bernie Sanders or Arsazio Cortez, uh, religious socialism is absolutely present, sometimes explicitly. In that's, the case of well, yeah, that's what I, what I was saying is you, you couldn't, you cannot have done activism uh, in our lifetime, real grassroots activism, uh, including socialist activism, without knowing that when you have events, when you have uh, campaigns, when you have coalitions, tons of religious people are showing up for those things and they are on the front lines. And, and I will uh, also throw in something for my own religious tradition, Unitarian Universalism, wow. uh, with, with similar, um, similar presence of, U, of UU clergy um, and other folks who are on the front lines. As the well, universalists have been uh, awesomely important, especially when it comes to the peace question. Uh, I mean, they've, they've been really important figures in that, uh, especially since, you know, like, I teach at a Quaker institution today, and uh, the Quakers have a great history as, as uh, you know, uh, people who are standing on the left side when it comes to peace. But you know, there's not very many Quakers left and Unitarian Universalists in a lot of ways over the 20th century kind of picked up that baton sure. and, and they ran with it. So that's important stuff. Anyway, so th this is kind of where I'm coming from. I'm coming, this is where I'm coming from both as someone who as a, as a scholar and a teacher is really interested in this stuff and wants to, uh, you know, convey the importance of this stuff well but it's also where I'm coming from as a, a, a believer. Uh, you know, I have been, you know, some form of socialist for decades, uh, you know, ever since, really probably ever since I met you, Matt. I've been a member of the DSA for a little over 10 years. And my involvement with them, like my involvement in a lot of other groups that I've mentioned, has been to emphasize the fact that these communities that you build, they're socialist. You may not call them socialist. You may not recognize them as socialist, but they are encouraging uh, the sharing of goods. They are encouraging the fair treatment of people. They are encouraging people to feel empowered and experimental in their lives that they may not have been able to feel, you know, without the support of this community. So I, I really want to emphasize that uh, because it's personally important to me as well. And the uh, website, again, if people are interested in the conference is religioussocialism.org. Is that what yeah, it is? www.religioussocialism.org. 
All right. Well, we've been talking to Russell Fox uh, from Friends University in Wichita, DSA, and Religious Socialism. And thank you so much for walking through all of that uh, with us. And, and I, I would love to, to have you and then some other folks maybe in the future, and we could have a little bit of a panel discussion on some of these different traditions. I, would, I will absolutely let uh, some of the other people know, because we're all part of an, an email chain. I'll, I'll let them know your interest. And uh, say that this is something that we ought to look into doing. Excellent, excellent. Well, take care of yourself there in Wichita. And we'll, as I said, we will, um, we'll let you know when this goes up. Okay, thank you again. Thank Bye. you.